I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, I'm Sean Panda Nicholson uh, from the Oily Sky. And you're listening to Dean Baptiste Questions Everything. My question is, would you find it harder to live without your hearing or your sight? Okay, here comes the show. And remember, question everything. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Dame Baptiste Questions Everything, a podcast where myself, comedian, writer, and occasional actor, Dame Baptiste, my producer friend, Howard Cohen, a.k.a. The Hizzer. Hello! And a mix of very special guests pose the questions that need to be asked. And we are talking everything from... Everything from Sean from Isle of Skies question... Would you find it easier to live without your hearing or your eyesight? Dane, where do you stand on that one? Oh, the old sensory, the old sensory uh, <laughs> The old sensory yeah, question. Tough one. I think if I had to choose, I would probably prefer to have my eyesight. Right. Because? Well, I feel like if someone says to me, there's an Isle of Sky, I'm like, I want to see that shit. So as opposed to, <laughs> I want to hear that shit. I'm definitely going to go for hearing on the basis that um, I have uh, have seen all the people I, I love in my life so I can remember what they look like. And um, I think I could live my life through audiobooks and podcasts as opposed to films. Like, I need the music. I reckon I need the music. I don't think I go without it. I get that. It's a tough, it is a tough one, though. because that, But then you think about the disadvantage is that you hear people fart real well, but you'll never be able to find the culprit. Whereas, <laughs> yeah, I, can, okay. whereas yeah. I can smell and see the guilt. That's all I'm saying, How? But the most important thing is, do you know what that was? That was like, a, do you know, do you get what that was, Howard? That was like a Richard Pryor, Gene Wilder. <laughs> it's our dream. It's our dream come true. There you go. It's the, it's the uh, but, black, um, black Jewish sensory deprivation conundrum. And we love it. Yeah. We get that all the time. We get that all the time. Suffice to say, Dane, we ask all <laughs> we are, the questions. We do ask all the questions. And if you enjoy the show and enjoy us answering the questions, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify. You'll never miss an episode. Or subscribe to us on Acast, which is the world's largest podcast network. Speaking of large, another person large in charge is today's esteemed guest. He is legendary, and we don't use the word legendary lightly on this show. You guys know that you're a bunch of legends. Very rarely, very rarely we very say legendary. <laughs> very rarely. It's in only the most legendary of instances where you hear us even say legend in a legendary fashion. That being said, today's show is also legendary. Uh, we have a British writer and broadcaster who's well known for his very iconic comedy shows, Fist of Fun, and this morning with Richard, not Judy. Over 25 years, he has performed 13 hugely successful and critically acclaimed one-man shows at various festivals throughout the world and he is considered a true pioneer of comedy podcasting with his Leicester Square Theatre podcast which I've been on it's very very good if you don't know by now now you're going to know it's the amazing Richard Herring hello hello buddy how are you I'm very good that was a very nice introduction thank you you're a very sweet young men. Richard, what would you choose? Hearing? Young? Would you choose? Oh, thank you. Would you choose hearing or eyesight, Richard? What do you reckon? Uh, to keep, I would keep eyesight, I think. I would, I, because you can just have subtitles. I mean, it would be difficult for podcasting if you couldn't hear anything, but you could learn to lip read, right? Yeah, it's true. So you could, yeah. uh, and you could, I think if you, I want to see stuff. I don't have, I'm already, I've talked about this a lot on my podcast, so this is going to annoy some people who listen to my podcast, but I have no mind's eye. I'm blind in my mind's eye. I can't visualize stuff in my brain. So <laughs> it's absolutely true. <laughs> and so I can't, if you close your eyes, you can, if you can probably visualize what you want to think. If you think of an apple, you can close your eyes and visualize it. I can't see anything if I do that. That's good. There's still an advantage to that, Richard. Like, you know, in the film It, when it's like, I will manifest as your worst fear. And you're like, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> Yeah, so I, so I would like to be able, if I can't see, I won't even be able to see in my eyes or my mind's eye. And that would be awful. So I, I will, I'll take away the hearing, even though I do. I probably am leaving, losing my hearing more than my eyesight, but they're both going a little bit. So there you go. We might find All out. Right. That'll be a nice balance. But I think especially, Howard, maybe you've not taken into account fatherhood. Because, you know, yes, you'd rather be able to see, see something before you hear it. You'd rather be like, don't touch that, instead of hear, eh! 
So uh, yeah, I think where, where paternity is concerned, maybe vision. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's an interesting point. Um, I just don't, honestly, I, I, one of the things about having a baby, I've got a baby, Richard. Yeah. Oh, blimey. Well done. And thanks. Yeah, it feels like an achievement. I'm, <laughs> well, uh, but uh, it loves music. He, not he, he, he loves music. And um, I don't know uh, if that's a correct it, non-binary pronoun to use. You can yeah. go for they, the or they. say. Yeah, <laughs> Dylan. Dylan likes music, which is uh, a very uh, enjoyable thing because you're like it's like experimenting. I, I put a different thing on, and he responds. It's quite enjoyable. Big yeah. Neil Diamond fan already, which is interesting. Uh, you know, <laughs> it's got some tunes. So, yeah. you know, uh, if you were deaf, you wouldn't be able to hear your kid crying, which would be, would be quite good. So maybe I'll maybe I'll change it to death exactly. <laughs> until like until they turn four or five. My, exactly. I've got a two-year-old and a five-year-old. Because you can still smell, you can still smell the poo, yeah. and you can, you can still feel the cold. You can <laughs> still, you can still look at the stupid pictures from school. Like this is wonderful. Talk me through it. <laughs> Knowing full well you can't hear that shit. You're like, oh, well done, son. How did you make this? Well done. I started with some dry macaroni. You're like, yeah, probably. You can't hear. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I do it. I just think. I suppose the uh, I, I suppose thing about hearing and see news would be interesting, wouldn't it? Because you wouldn't, yeah, you, you could be very selective. You you couldn't look at Twitter. That would be a positive, wouldn't it? In some ways, I suppose. That's true. Although you can do voice notes, on, you can do voice notes on Twitter now. And <laughs> I can you imagine audio only Twitter? Basically, for me, audio only Twitter is kind of like. Do you know that first part when um, Andy Dufresne first gets to prison in a Shawshank Redemption? And they're like, oh, yeah. hey, boy, I'm going to tell you a new one. Fresh fish. <laughs> Don't go to sleep, boy. My dick going to taste so good in your mouth, boy. That is how Twitter sounds. <laughs> fresh fish. People shouting fresh fish all day. Just, uh, yeah, you, I don't, I don't, I'd rather see Twitter than hear it because I've, you remember they introduced the uh, young girl, the AI, into Twitter. And whatever she heard when she came through the other side, she was like, I'm a whore Nazi. And I, oh, right. I, I want to go to space. And I was like, oh, no, <laughs> that's terrible. Yeah, it's an awful place here. You're better off without seeing or hearing it. Yeah, yeah. I mean. Yeah, well, it's an option. Just take yeah. it off my phone, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, you yeah. can get rid of um, it's probably um, it's probably time for probably time for a question, isn't it, Dane? As is traditional with the format of the show. Absolutely. I think it is definitely about time. Um, so... Uh, as our esteemed guest, uh, Mr. Herring, we invite you to ask a question to both myself and Howard, which we'd like to discuss for a brief period. And okay. then this will be immediately followed by uh, the Hizza himself also asking a question, uh, which we will discuss for about 15 minutes and some change. And then we lather the rinse and repeat. I'll ask the final question and uh, we discuss. We learn more about yourself. And now that people are completely endeared to you based on our conversations, we find out where <laughs> we can find you and uh, where people can chase you uh, and not have yep. any red herrings, as with nominative determinism would necessarily determine. But no, you will know where they can actually find you in a genuine way. Okay. And we, and we all have a wonderful week with all of our sensory faculties. That's Fingers good. crossed. Fingers crossed. Hope, hope we get Fingers crossed, yeah. In theory. Yeah. In theory. We'll, <laughs> we'll see how we'll we see go. it goes. Uh, so, yes, as our esteemed guest, uh, we welcome you to ask the first question, please. All right. Well, my client, I'll probably need some explanation. I'll probably need to explain this, but it's because it covers quite a lot. Uh, but I've been thinking about this a lot over the last couple of months. Uh, is what drives the knee jerk contrarians, is the way I've put it, by which I mean. Um, well, I'm writing a book. I've just written a book about uh, the thing I do on International Women's Day where men come on Twitter and say, when's International yeah. Men's Day? Yeah. Uh, and weirdly, writing that over the last two or three months, the news has really impacted on the book because you realise that's not the only example of this. And I know... Oh, of course, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I know, Dane, that, you, that you've been experiencing this. But obviously, once, I mean... The, 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 the example I always used to show how ridiculous one's International Men's Day was as a question, because, A, there is an International Men's Day, so it's even more ridiculous. Exactly. But is people, you know, when Black History Month comes up, people say, but when's White History Month? And you start <laughs> yeah. to think, well, if, if you understand why yeah. that's a stupid question, then you'll understand why the, the International... And you would, yeah. and I, I wrote it in the book, thought, don't even need to explain it. That is, people Absolutely. will say... And then, obviously, <laughs> yeah, had, or, how wrong you were. How wrong you were. But it's interesting because it comes exactly at the same thought, right? So almost like asking when's International Men's Day is like the marijuana of this, of this situation. <laughs> yeah. And then you move on to, the, you move on to the hard stuff once you've exactly. mastered that. Uh, so to our, you know, and again, I thought it, you know, it became all lives matter. And I thought, well, you know, that's bad enough. And I didn't even think people would start then going, you know, and then we'd get 
planes with white lives matter flying over football grounds and everything happening in America. So it's sort of, and also with COVID, what is making people being asked to wear masks? Well, anti-vaxxers, but also being asked to wear masks because it will help other people and then go, I'm not wearing a mask. How dare you impinge on my civil rights? You know, well, because it'll help people. It's like wearing a seatbelt or it's like, you know, I guess a seatbelt helps yourself, but it's the altruism. So it's just like people almost without thinking if something's not directly about them, uh, it has to be about them. And and I'm trying, you know, this book is sort of partly trying to get to understand what that's about. Mm-hmm. But I really struggle to understand the mentality of that, where everything, I mean, I, I sort of understand that way because you're like, I was a child and that's what children, and I've got children, that's what children are like. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm a comedian, so I'm quite self-obsessed. Mm-hmm. But... <laughs> yeah, Howard. <laughs> nodding, just nodding. Howard, been nodding there. <laughs> but you know what? What makes you you know not have the nous to? I mean, the International Men's Day one's a funny one in in some ways, yeah. though obviously not in other ways. Uh, but, but you know, not even to bother. Be so sure of yourself, and yet so insecure in yourself that you don't bother checking, googling it to check there is there is or isn't one. But also. You know, why would you do it? It's like being on a birthday. You know, I remember going to kids' birthdays when I was mm. four or five and there'd be past the parcel and then the birthday kid would win the past the parcel and I'd go mental because why haven't I won? You know, it's supposed to be a fair game. It's a fair game. <laughs> what, is Toby going to win everything today? Is he gonna be, <laughs> his name's on the cake. What more does he need? <laughs> so is it just childishness? Because it's sort of a mixture of men are sort of, and it's mainly men. This I don't think it's, it's yeah. exclusively men, but it's mainly men, and they've got this mixture of ex- supreme confidence. And in the book, I talk about uh, that thing that was on uh, Twitter a couple of years ago about when people were asked if they could take a point off Serena Williams at tennis, right? And and about about twenty five percent of men either said they could or they didn't know if they could, right? Yeah, so yeah. <laughs> you kind of go you're so fucking yeah. deluded right yeah. there, if you're a if you're a national level men's player you might get a point off serena yeah. williams but and then and people are thinking oh it's because you know she'll serve a double fault she won't serve a double fault against you mate she won't have to no she won't she'll be 100 percent. she'll give you she'll <laughs> no. give you she'll give you the stop that's all you've one. got yeah <laughs> that's all you've got is the hope she serves a double fault is it really worth coming down for the game yeah. <laughs> but also when you think about it is if it's a two-set match it's so few points you know you might think oh well a game of tennis is a long time not if someone wins every point it is and a yeah, game exactly. of tennis is about 40 shots long if, <laughs> yeah. if, if you it's like it's like it's part of the whole thing when guys go watching football and they go I could have scored that <laughs> yeah <laughs> I'm sorry you'd have had a coronary half a hectare away down the pitch <laughs> so it's that weird confidence that makes men think they you know not even think oh maybe I couldn't beat or, you know, and it's, I guess it's, there's sexism in that as well. I yeah. mean, maybe racism in that as well. But I think it, I yeah. think it, I think in this case, I think it might be sexism. We might have made a move on with Serena Williams, yeah. but it's only sexism. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what a victory. What a victory. <laughs> but in that instance, how can men be that confident and then that sensitive? to be upset that yeah. somebody else is getting a day or a month or a, you know, or a little bit of attention from something, you know, so it's... What drives these contrarians? Yeah. What drives them? It's, 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 a, it's a really good question. And I think um, all of, I think all of the, there's one short answer, but I definitely think it's, um, for each one of those, like you said, there, it, it refers to a particular different type of complex. So I think, I think a large part of it is that when it, uh, a lot of this, uh, this complex has kind of gained a lot more strength recently with the emer- with the uh, with the social media. Yeah, and I think because of that, it's uh, so. My, the short answer to the question is: is talk like that, and uh, true democracy is the reason why we have aristocracy. So historically, like people would have ideas, something for example, like you know, International Women's Day, and now yeah. with the democratization of the internet, then you have people who wouldn't normally be involved in this kind of discourse being like, well, why isn't there a men's day? Why don't women want to take out the garbage? You know, women never work, want to work in sanitation. And there was a time when if someone said that in public, we'd just go, shut up and keep <laughs> taking out the trash. Why are you talking, you idiot? Shut up. But, you know, now people are very much enabled to have their, you know, which is why we even see the rise of the empowerment of the opinion when people are like, I'm entitled to my opinion. Before, people would be like, I'm sure you are, but there's a reason why there's a door there and you don't have a key to enter that door because your opinion doesn't fucking matter because we're all scientists and you're a fucking idiot. So that's what normally needs to happen is that 
a bunch yeah. of immun- so for example with covid you'd have an outbreak and you'd have immunologists and virologists working on that and somebody outside might be like oh, i don't like wearing a mask and they'd go well that's why you don't work here because you're a fucking idiot <laughs> and you don't know anything that's why you're cleaning here because you don't know about viruses <laughs> but the internet has enabled people to be able to be involved in this kind of discourse and uh because of that uh, i guess it's just changed people's perspective whereby by that same token, when they are introduced to like new or more progressive ideology, if it does reflect on them, especially in in terms of I guess in terms of identity politics, because people will attach themselves to an identity. So, for example, if you take the complex of the cisgender male, when they hear about something like International Women's Day, even though it doesn't necessarily affect them directly, a lot of men, through aligning themselves with this uh, identity, then feel threatened because they they hear. For feminism or they hear uh, womanhood and they hear what they hear is misandry or chauvinism so yeah. i guess based on their own experiences they think well for women to be able to assert their own day where they are given this elevated status then i lose my position and i lose my status so they're like well why can't it be a men's day and that's what happens when you because i guess like i said through the democracy of the internet everyone has a level playing field and so no one really perceives themselves as having the comparative privilege they have in society. So if there's a, something that trends, for example, and appears to have enough interest and support on the internet because it's truly democratic, the men who are existing on there feel like they're losing power and, they're, and, they're, and women are gaining power. So they become very intimidated. And, they be, and so they're like, well, why can't I be a men's day as well then? And I think a lot of time that's done because it makes it easier for people to uh, deflect from sometimes their own guilt because we're a social species. So people are, people are aware that, uh, you know, women have been marginalized in society on a global scale. We live under the global patriarchy. Now, if you identify politically with the idea of patriarchy, you will feel very guilty about the way you are treating these women, but to offset that and to offset the responsibility of this, uh, political ideology, you're just like, well, there should be a men's day too. So it's, I think for the first part, it's a very good way of deflecting from taking responsibility in the context of identity politics, because a lot of people yeah. will identify with whiteness. And then if people are like, well, black lives matter, where it's like, well, they're saying that they must be talking about me as well. Well, all lives matter. And it's just this need because people tend to align themselves with these ideologies, this need to try and defend their position because they're like, well, I'm not a bad person. I never had slaves. And so people become very, yeah. Well, it's the what, it's the what aboutism, right? That everyone exactly, yeah. kind of, that phrase, that phrase has become so popular because it's just the quickest way. I mean, literally, uh, Mr. Trump's only response is to say, yeah, but what about uh, the other people? And I mean, the, the, the thing that I, I mean, I don't know if everyone was aware and obviously our, our listeners should go and check out Richard, like you got an unbelievable response and you you managed to you know what, what, what were some of the responses you got when your international men's day position uh, well yeah i mean i mean well i got flack from all directions with it really i mean i think most people got it and appreciate it and got the joke because the jokes rebounds on me because what i'll do is try and find every single person who's asking the question on twitter and then tell them that there is an international men's day this november the 19th so actually you know in trying to st- the the idea is it i'm i want to stop it happening but of course it never stops happening it's like king can you trying to stop the waves, you know, and, and ultimately the joke's on me because by the end of the day I'm going crazy, you know, <laughs> yeah. shouting at people because no one's shutting up about this thing. So, <laughs> you know, actually, you know, I was the, in a way I was the troll because I was going to find these people and then saying, yeah, here, but I was sort of usually politely just answering their question. So it was more that, um, and I understand some of that. I got, I got both Meninists and some feminists didn't like it because the Meninists didn't like it because they go, well, we should be celebrating International Men's Day and, you know, you're m- m- mocking it. And go, I'm not, I'm telling people when it is and I'm actually publicising it. Yeah. Uh, and I support all the, all the things that it, that it supports. But actually having looked into it more, which I probably haven't got time to talk about it. So you sort of realise all those things are done by Movember, which is a whole fucking month of yeah. <laughs> Right? And exactly. it gets loads of publicity. Men go, well, it doesn't get the publicity. You go, Movember does, because people want to do it, because it's lighthearted and it's fun. And actually, though, what, what's interesting, I think, is the guys who ask the question aren't interested in international men's day. They don't come on into... I, last year, I, I emailed them all. I tweeted them all on international men's day, saying, so what are you doing? You were worried about today. What are you doing today? And, of course, none of them are doing anything on the actual day. They just want to complain. They're not interested in international men's day. But also, November, which doesn't have this toxicity around it, which men and women can join in with, which is supporting men's mental health and suicide and depression and all those things that are very important that you know we do need to... to the problems that men do have and it's all supported it's a month long rather than a day long and people get on board because it's fun and because it doesn't have this kind of toxicity around it so weirdly i think those guys uh are 
Well, A, they don't realise equality will benefit them, right? So they they, they don't realise yeah. they're they are actually or do a, as they? much. Well, they, because they're I've, as much I've, of. Because um, I mean, I, I know you. Because I think sometimes we times give some people the benefit of doubt. So you're saying equality will benefit them, but really, it's it's again because of identity politics. There are some people who don't necessarily stand to benefit from equality the same way they do from privilege. That's true. Of course, so, so, so I do get that. Even though equality will benefit them, again, because of identity politics. Because really, myself personally, I believe even now, even when we discuss something like Men's Day and Women's Day in a very binary term it's like obviously maybe we're discussing more elements of the masculine and the feminine because yeah. both sexes display both characteristics in whatever varying degrees um but i say that to say this because it's like there are people that people that hold on to these more rigid ideas and more binary ideas like being a man or being a white man or being a straight man it's because i think for a lot of people without those those things there's not really anything remarkable or distinctive about them and so they have to hold no. on to it for two hands. And I think for some people, that contrarian thing is that every single time they find themselves within this nice Venn diagram of conformity, anything that challenges it or trends outside of those circles makes people feel very threatened. And, and I try to explain to people, like, with, you see the problem, the issue of white supremacy in America is that irrespective of your uh, ethnic or racial uh, background, you know, you, you're still living within a capitalist system where, which has a 1%. Now, for most people who will never be millionaires or may not realize their creative or personal aspirations, that can be a very difficult complex for most human beings to deal with existentially, especially when they get to a certain age like a baby boomer. And I just think if you can give people the belief that despite their lives most likely turn out not to be particularly remarkable, that they are able to derive self-esteem from thinking they're better than everybody else, or at least not sure. 0.8 billion people on the planet, that is, a, I guess, a psychological boom which... You know, they can't buy from medication. You can't... Well, because it all comes back to insecurities, right, Richard? That's yeah. the kind of thing, isn't it? The, the insecurities in these people drive them to do this. I think it does, but I think, we're, you know, I think you're right. A, a, lot, a lot of that is brilliant in what you're saying. I mean, it's all brilliant, it's been, and there's a lot of uh, truth in what you're saying. I think when you look at the guys who went to Parliament Square to protest about the statue being yeah. thrown in the harbour, they didn't know what... They had no focus. They didn't know what they were protesting against. They were just, no. like, lost. They were these lost guys, right? So I think for a, a proportion of the people who were complaining about International Women's Day, they're saying, well, men have it tough as well. Men have a hard time as well, which, of course, they do in some degree. But also, men prop up the ideas of masculinity and the ideas yeah. of binary masculinity uh, and and the ideas of uh, racial dichotomy and whatever as well. Mm -hmm. uh, but, they, but also, they kind of try and... Men are the only people who try and conform to the stereotype we have right i think yeah. and so they're trying to be as masculine as possible to the extent those guys are just fighting each other almost <laughs> and, and, and pissing on monuments you know and, they, oh, and, they're and, so, they're and you know and it's, that's always a part of the human journey whereby yeah if normally if people do not have a very clear adversary in order for them to orientate their life then they will yeah. that, that will turn that will tend to turn inwards you know so that, oh. that so i just think it's as human beings we just have this uh statement the state of binary of binary conflict whether it's either i guess f uh, fight or flight and I think this is how it applies to what we're dealing with, the phenomenon of, uh, you know, being contrarians. Especially what you also have to take into account is the fact that this is us mainly existing on social media. And essentially, we're still quite adolescent in terms of how we deal with social media and how we respond to things. Because there are some people that if you're able to have, you know, normal structured discourse with them about the need for a Women's Day, you could probably, they would understand it. But it's yeah. because you, they have the, we now live in a time where your phone can transform into a pitchfork or a torch with the click of, a, of your thumb. It's very yeah. easy for people to like basically just transform because we all will entertain, as Howard said, it comes out insecurity. Everyone can get to those darker recesses of their mind whereby they can read a story that has a, of economic peril and think, well, if this happens or this happens and I can't feed my kids and already the seed of planted where well, you'd, you'd be adverse to like immigration, for example, because you're told it's a potential threat. Mm. So but there's so much to do with tradition, right, Dane? We've talked about this a few times yeah. on, on, on this show, that tra tradition and the feeling that you should stick to what you know, right, and follow those paths somehow suggests that because you've been doing it for however long, that means it must be right. We're just creatures, we're just creatures, we're just creatures of habit. So people are used to routines and we will disguise them as like social convention or culture, or we'll disguise them, like you said, as tradition, but it's just something that we get used to doing. And, and we, and most human beings will have that normal inertia in the first place, even to the point whereby like in the Vietnam war, like a lot of combatants 
only fired their guns after they were fired at them first because they're not predisposed to conflict. So it takes a lot to make human beings move a lot of the time. So, so I was just saying about... Well, I had a really weird one. I had a really weird one, I've got to tell you, because it's just bizarre to feel this way about something, which is obviously, you know, the, the, the baby, my D- Dylan, ha- has to wear clothes, right? Which I haven't, I haven't bought any of them. My wife has organised that because she's very organised. Uh, well done, Tara. Uh, and uh, uh, um, she bought him a jumper, right? And it looked like a white jumper on the eBay. And then when it got here, it was pink, right? Now, is it... I can I can be honest, because everyone who listens to this podcast should know that I'm not a fucking horrible bastard, but uh, hopefully. But, you know, like, I have to say, like, we talked about the fact he's wearing a pink jumper and, wh- and why that somehow gets a reaction from us as though it's something a bit off with that. And, and, that, and that's absolutely mental when you think about it. It's, but, it's, and also, you know, the pink the pink thing only... It's only about uh, not even 100 years old, the pink thing. I think yeah. it, uh, Grayson Perry was talking about it. It kind of came up because some royal figure dressed a child in, a female child in, in pink and then it became the fact so it's not a, it's not something that goes back a long time in in time it's just become a tradition uh and yeah i mean we're being really you know my, my son likes dressing up in all the dresses that my daughter has and my you know and it put, put it on <laughs> and put it on makeup and doing all those things that i did as well and you know Which you is, just got to it's, conform- it's, it's, it's conformity and routine if you see something and, yeah. everyone, and everyone else is doing it it looks fun then yeah. why would you not want to do it? And your son will have no platitudes with relations to his expression of his sexuality or his gender. It's just, everyone else is doing it. It looks fun. Yeah. Why can't I do it? So I, I, I understand that. So, but as I was saying, Richard, because back to the whole social media thing about adolescent, I say that because... Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. I think people's minds are very adolescent when they are on social media. And if you think about your adolescence, adolescence is a weird state for human beings to be in, in that you are not a child, but you have the mind of a child because you lack the wisdom and experience of living life. But at the same time, you have the faculties of an adult whereby you have a certain level of hormone secretion or you might be going through puberty. But mm-hmm. normally, because of this, the change in the hormones and stuff, your ability and your cognitive way of dealing with certain situations and coping mechanisms they're changing and evolving as you're growing older, which is why on social media, like it's like talking to a teenager because you normally say to a teenager, are you going to wear a coat when you go out? I'm not a slut! How did we get here? I was just... What did you, do? you know, that's, any parent, that's what any parent will tell you. Like, and, that's, and that's how people are on social media when you're like, you know, yeah. are you sure you want another cake? Don't shame me for being fat! I'm hungry! The parent's like, how did this happen? What? Just, how did we get here? And I, I, feel yeah. like, I feel like I feel like that's a big part of it as well because yeah, no, it's very that, it's that's very when true. that's that's because I guess as you're becoming an adult and you learn to take more responsibility for yourself and have a more of an awareness of your own psychology and your own independence, then you tend to express that, how, albeit sometimes quite uh, erroneously. So I think that's one of the reasons why you get this whole contrarian thing where you're like, you know, kids are starving in Africa, but there's kids starving everywhere. Why are you always? <laughs> because people, like I said, people take it on very personally yeah. because now they are learning. I guess people are learning to be witness to a lot more information than we used to have. Before, your your newspaper, whether it's broadsheet or tabloid, was your only portal for news and geopolitics. Now you are bombarded from being ubiquitous where you can't escape it. And we are having to learn to adapt and, you know, be more in wise or pragmatic in how we invest our emotional currency. Because I think with most men who would be opposed or men who you maybe describe as misogynistic, if you were to say to them, well, well, how would you like if I came to your house and slapped your mum and your sisters? You'd be like, they'd be like, of course not. So if you you identify women, again, who they identify with politically where, by the merit of either, you know, race or just being family, then they will defend those women. 
But this idea that he's unseen force of, um, you know, uh, female chivalry, uh, female chauvinism exists in the internet. They can't see. That's like, then we will wear Dr. Martins and no women will shave their legs. They're like, why? Why are you doing this to me? So, and so I think, yeah, it's just, I think a large part of it. There's so many examples as well. So many examples. So many examples. It's, it's because in the same way that like, you know, I put a somewhat provocative tweet about like, I think it was a retrospective by time when they were saying, how did Hitler get to power? And I was like, because people voted for him. And, you know, again, there is an element of humanity where, because now that it's humanity as it exists in the form of identity politics, is that people are like, so what thing? You're saying that white people are evil? I'm not saying that. I'm just saying those were the color of the people living in Germany at the time. And I'm sure there were some black people there too, but legislation would dictate that even if they wanted to vote for Hitler, they couldn't. So, but then it's like, but people are like, oh, but you're just saying that white people are evil. I'm not saying that, but it's obviously that you have pondered this idea through the lens of identity politics, where if you've seen people from the same racial, ethnic group as you committing atrocities, because you identify with that politically, now you are taking on all of that baggage as well. And that's what normally what happens, like I said, with teenagers, when you say something like, I don't know what's wrong with these kids. Why do you hate me, mum? I didn't ask to be born. I wasn't even talking to you, you know? I don't even know where this comes from. <laughs> it's, so, it's such a good point. I mean, it's such a good question. And we could talk about that question all day. I love it. I mean, straight pride is one of the things that I always love when people talk about. Yeah. <laughs> the idea that people are offended by gay people being proud to be gay, which, listen, I, I can imagine is a big moment in your life when you can say to the world and come out yeah. and say yeah. the idea that the response was why is there you, straight people put up pretty fucking proud exactly and also <laughs> but when uh, i think i think the issue is the fact that we describe um these progressive movements as uh, pride because even myself is like i try to i try to move away from the use of the word pride because it's like deriving self-esteem or you know uh confidence or even positivity from something you had no control over. Proud to be British. Yeah. Proud to be you, British. You didn't have a you fucking choice, You didn't have a, choice. Didn't have a <laughs> fucking choice. It's the vagina that you were in. What to do with you? Yeah, the womb that you were in was on British soil, and that's why you're British. <laughs> but people derive a lot of self-esteem from that. So I think it's... But what people don't understand is that, obviously, pride in terms of, like, groups like the LGBT plus community is that it's no... This is pride in spite of the suggestion, instructionally, that we are inferior. The same way as, like, yeah. black pride is not... I'm proud of being black. You shouldn't be proud of being white. Is that despite the historic suggestion of my inferiority, I, through the, my human spirit, challenge this and say, no, I'm proud of who I am. You know, in spite of that. It's like, you know, yeah. so it's like to try and explain it to like most attractors, it's like, you know, the song I did it my way by Frank Sinatra. That's what Black Lives Matter means. That, you know, <laughs> we want to do it our way. All right. I think it's due a rewrite. I think it's due a rewrite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ready. Definitely. Oh, yeah. Um, we're going to move on because yeah. we're going to move on because we can talk about it today. But what a great question, Absolutely. Richard. We, Thank we you. Love no, that, great, right? great conversation as well. Thank you, guys. That's brilliant. My, um, my question is going gonna, is gonna to be a little bit of a trip down memory lane, actually, uh, uh, for, for some of our listeners and, uh, and Dane and, and obviously Richard, which is to kind of reference a, a show that we mentioned in your biog earlier, which was the. Um, the, uh, for me, and, and, and when I was growing up, the iconic uh, This Morning with Richard, Not Judy, which for our listeners that may not know, because uh, this is going to sound absolutely absurd to you that this ever existed, there was a show called This Morning with Richard and Judy on Channel 4? Uh, yeah. yeah, ITV maybe, yeah, ITV, the, ITV the real, real one was on ITV, yeah. The real one was on, so there was, there was, there was a, a genuine This Morning style show, and then on Sunday mornings, uh, Richard uh, and his comedy partner, at the time, Stuart Lee would host this show that looked a bit like that, but was nothing like that. It was a world of absolute absurdity. That, as a, a, you know, I, me and my friends, we we got we got VHSs of it when we recorded it off the telly because it was so good. And, it, and as Dane will remember, it was full of absolute madness. There was a there was a there was a man dressed as an orange. There was a guy. <laughs> there was a guy who had a weak lemon drink, which was never fully explained what the lemon drink was. <laughs> it was it was and it was on a 10.45 in the morning. It was on at 10.45 in the morning. So my question to you, Richard, and, yeah. and, and to Dane, is absurdity in comedy does not seem to be the order of the day right now. And where is it? Where Where is absurdity in comedy? Because, it, you know, I think we all loved what Phoebe Waller-Bridge did with Fleabag. I think everyone can respect that work. And, and there's many other examples of comedy drama. But but that's absolute joyful silliness that you guys created on that swing. Where is that at the moment? 
Well, yeah, it's a good question. I think it, it is there, and I think actually maybe on maybe it's not on TV as much, but yeah. I think um, I think like on the internet, um, I'm doing stuff on Twitch at the moment, which is like a, usually a gamers platform. But quite a few people like Limmy's on there, and Limmy's someone oh, who cool. does absurd and Limmy's wonderful and re- and really yeah. inventive. I mean, he's just a genius, that guy. Like I. I I don't know, you know, some comedians you can watch and go, right, I wouldn't do that or I couldn't do that, but I know how he did it and I know how his brain worked together or her brain worked together. <laughs> but with Limmy, you know, he's on a he's on a different planet and it's and his and it's genius level. But there's a lot of people doing kind of weirder stuff on that. I'm doing kind of weird stuff on that again, I suppose. Uh, and I suppose within podcasts and within, you know, non-conventional, non-commercial sort of stuff, you can still mess around and play yourself at snooker or you know i'm doing a new podcast where i review the papers of the 128 year old ventriloquist dummy and i'm not great at ventriloquism but i'm just learning on the job <laughs> uh, and uh you know and so you you start and and you know that's where i think within the internet we've got time people can watch if they want to yeah. uh people don't have to watch it and you can do something very niche on the internet and because it goes all over the world you could still get thousands of people watching it but if you put it on bbc one people would go, what the hell's going on, I suppose. So well, you I think, were on BBC Two at 10.45. It was at 12.15. It was at 12.15. Oh, okay, I got it wrong. I think we, you know, we slipped under the radar. I really wanted to do that time and nobody else did and the BBC didn't care about that time. And actually it turned out to be great because no, it was Sunday and literally nobody who was important was watching it. So really, and no, and so, and the kind of people who would write in and complain weren't watching TV at that time either, either at church or not expecting stuff. Absolutely. So you or, could, as long as you didn't, they're, hungover. Have, they're massively, massively yeah, hungover. Exactly. So as long as you didn't start saying fuck or whatever, you know, you could, you could discuss. Uh, although we sort of did swear secretly, but um, <laughs> underneath in, while we were singing and stuff, but um, uh, but you know, you could get away with doing anything, and because we understood, I think with with tv they there's basically when you see with censorship um and we're seeing it with the the blackface thing right where it's, it becomes just oh great now i know what the thing is so everything where anyone has anything on their face is now gone yeah. and there's no distinction between going oh hold on uh uh, in community, that guy's being an elf. That's not blackface. Yeah, exactly. That's a guy being an elf. Or you know what I mean. So, if they've got a list of things, and it's usually words, but now it's also, it, I mean, it, amazingly it's fucking late in the world. It is really, now. It's really. Most, really I mean, really. it's incredible that this was still <laughs> yeah. going on in this this millennium, uh, but it was. Uh, but you know that that's now a thing on there. But as long as you didn't didn't cross those lines, you could sort of do anything. And by discuss discussing subjects. You that are you know that you you can get you'd be much more like uh, edgy and risky without Mm. swearing or without actually even being rude just just cover it the stuff you're covering so with that show it was nuts we were allowed to do it we had freedom we'd come out of radio which again i think in the 90s there was a we've been on radio one doing a sort of uh hosted show where we did sketches where a lot of that stuff started and they just let us get on with it and and i think that's the, the thing and you know and obviously vic reese and bob mortimer did it and uh, fantastically well and still are doing that kind of surreal stuff fantastically well um but uh you know i think the thing is that in tv terms no one's left to get on with stuff and they don't what they do is put if they do a sketch show which they very rarely do now or even a stand-up show they put together a team they don't yeah find a group of people who've worked together for five years and have got a language and have got a way of looking at the world so that what we had was 10 years 10 years five ten years basically with that group of people where we developed a style of comedy and a, mm. and stupid crazy ideas that that you know made sense if you'd followed the whole journey, <laughs> journey <laughs> yeah but then looked kind of wonderfully surreal if you hadn't followed the whole journey but you know so yeah so it was uh, i think that stuff's out there and i think people are doing it and i think maybe to look on the internet and i think maybe yeah. you know the one the one thing that's positive for comedy about the virus is that i think people are being forced to find new ways of doing stuff for a little bit yeah. and i'm hoping that out of that will i'm very much hoping stand up will 
come back and survive. It definitely feels to me that the, the absurdist, uh, silly, however you want to define some of the themes of the comedy that you guys did then, you know, it does exist in the world, obviously. In America, I think it thrives uh, phenomenally well. Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 if you're given the breath to kind of pull it off, I think a lot of the time now, uh, as Richard probably can see now, a lot more stakeholders are involved in comedy um, because I guess if, if you had something of that nature, like, you know, this morning with Richard, not Judy, that's something you're probably going to work out somewhere like Edinburgh, and then that would have had the time to develop and, you know, become a precipitated as more close to the idea you saw before. Whereas I think yeah. nowadays there's yeah, a lot more stakeholders involved where that breath that you used to get to experiment and try things out in Edinburgh at the Fringe, for example, isn't, I don't think there's the same artistic license that you may have had historically because now it's like you have to make money and be poised to be in a good position because it's so saturated to be like, you know, the people that the BBC pick to be developed. So, and then the BBC almost like because it's so saturated, then they might give you only a little bit of time to develop something and then you can't offend any kind of stakeholders or any kind of potential sponsors. And so then there's another cycle where they're going to find the next person in the same way that like there was a time when an A&R would scout and source a good musical act and nurture and develop them for them to have a sound that's going to be able to cross them over a lot more. That was the way it would have been done historically. But I guess once, like I said, there's more commercial interest involved, like I said, they'll try and get, try and assemble people they would think will look more popular and satisfy demographics rather than picking a group of people with their own chemistry. So I think from that side of the industry, yeah. that's probably why you don't see the absurdity in comedy as much because that organic development that's required to create something that is original and is a kind of absurd, there's not as many people that are willing to invest in it. So which is why you normally tend to find us a lot more on the internet or... Yeah, and I think the big thing is, right, that you've got to be able... For that stuff to work, it, it's... I mean, comedy is always a risk, right? And telling a joke's always a risk. You don't know till you get it out there whether it's going to really work. You might think, I think this is going to work, but... You with that kind of stuff, you've got to try it, and you've got to try it. Especially, you know, if you watch the first episode of this morning, Rich Not Judy, the audiences that are sitting there going, "What? What? You know, like things <laughs> that would later be things that would later be very popular, you know, play to silence because no one knows what's going on." And now, some of those things that play to silence, we might have tried another time, and it still played to silence, and we went, "Yeah, okay, let's not do that." So there's things that you know, you but you take a chance, and you've got to take that leap, and you know, and to go. You guys took serious chances on that show. I remember, wasn't there an episode where you got trapped in a paradox for about five minutes? Uh, <laughs> I can't yeah, remember. You got, you got, it sounds like I, us. I, I often remember this this sequence. It was incredible, Dane, because Richard had this board where he was pointing at the things, and then every time they kept trying to move on, he got trapped because he had to go back to a bit on the board, and it, and it rolled for like. Honestly, I remember watching as a kid. It went for the five minutes, and now do you know what? I always think about it because Family Guy and Seth MacFarlane comedies love to do that thing where they drag the the thing out for so long as they can yeah you know, with a big yeah. joke or the, the fight with the chicken that never ends or all that stuff yes. so it's a very similar Sketch thing but, but it is tough to see where those where those things breathe on british television I mean, whereas in america you know i don't know if you've seen um the uh, i think you should leave yes yeah, so, yeah, uh, so, yeah, yeah. sketch show yeah yeah, uh, but if you haven't seen that, Richard, I, I I can't recommend it enough because that is an absolute quintessential, uh, stupid, absurdist yeah. comedy sketch show that that I think we'd love a bit of that over here, wouldn't we? we? That's what British comedy was partly about originally, wasn't it? Yeah, well, I think you know from the Goons and from Python, you know, but again, it, I think it was. I think the key to it is all the things that you've seen that, that, and the young ones, all those things were just, they were like, someone said, all right, off you go, make the show and come back and show us the show. And we were, we got that with this morning, really. I think like the second series, halfway through the executives came down to the studio that we were going to do something they didn't want us to do. Right. So we had so much power and they said, we'd write, you know, obviously it's live. You can do what you want. Uh, but um, if you do that, sketch you know there's i think it'll be very difficult for you to get another series and we did we did it <laughs> uh, but that was the level of power that they, you know we had that power that they so even when they came down we didn't get another series, but we would not have got another series anyway mm -hmm. so that we kind of knew the writing was on the wall so we thought fuck it let's do it anyway but um i can't even remember what it was you know it wasn't a ma massive major thing but we were given so much freedom to get on with it and nobody questioned us and we were the authors of it and we were the creators of it. And, you know, the director and the producer might say, hey, what about this? But they wouldn't say, you can't do this or I'm not really. And we, you know, so we got, so we got, so there was, you know, things that people can't believe were allowed out on uh, daytime TV on a Sunday. But, um, you know, that, but I guess, you know, partly because people are more offended, maybe, and partly because, uh, because I think, I think you're more right that it's to do. I think just TV became more about, the producers controlling it and less about the talent driving it. Well, and, and, and it's really interesting 
because because obviously you know Dane definitely <laughs> has had some experience in yeah. this as I, I I know and and but the, the thing about it as a as a producer like is is you know there's this kind of combination of, of elements that go into you know for our listeners who may not know how the industry works but obviously you know there's people the people at the channels commissioners or execs who who decide obviously that they like an idea and then and it can move forward with you know financial backing uh, on the basis of how much you know they like it and then and then and then there's this process of collaboration that you know I can testify over 10 years of working in television can be fantastic at times you might get a commissioner or you know someone at a channel who really sees what you're trying to do and, and really supports it and, and and lets it grow and then there's other times where you feel like we are all talking a different language and we are about to ruin the life of the talent comedian performers you know there's one reference i always give and i had nothing to do with the show which is if anyone ever saw we are clang live they can tell you that's one of the best live groups that ever had in this country and their show on television they would all admit did not translate and that's and i will blame the producers i don't know who they are but i'll blame the producers <laughs> i mean everyone can find everyone can find it on imdb but <laughs> I don't think they're commissioners anymore, which is why I'm saying okay, that's I don't what... think they're commissioners anymore, which is why I'm saying you know, Everyone remembers that group, right? Greg Davis and Marriott Lowe, those, those yeah. guys were something, and that show was was not representative of that, and it had to be partly the fact that yeah. they weren't given enough oh, fun, of, a, fun, of a rope to do their thing. Funs and games with uh, Phil Ellis and uh, uh, the guys at North Theatre did, uh, so Phil, along with Mick, and I think... Uh, Will Duggan was one of the other guys that ran it. So they, they had this show which uh, won the panel prize, I believe, in 2014. Yeah, which was a really, like, really funny variety show and stuff, which was for kids. So they ran it as a kid's show, but had loads of very adult jokes that were kind of put in subversively as well. And yeah, I think the BBC tried to remake it, but it ended up being kind of like a very kitsch quasi-game show, which is what they were trying to parody right. in the first place. And uh, yeah, yeah. I, I think so I think that's another issue is that, as I said, it's... it's uh, because there's so much middle stakeholders involved, because very clearly, Richard, it sounds like you guys were like, well, we're doing it for the art and this is a project we've never done before. We have no frame of reference. So we just want to have fun doing what we do on TV. And they're like, well, you might not get another series. And you're like, I have no <laughs> idea how that works. What are you talking about? <laughs> Richard, if you do this, you guys might not be syndicated. What does that even fucking mean? <laughs> we're, trying to, yeah. we're trying to get the consistency of, of lemon drink here. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> so I think when we when you're a lot more uh, green about the uh, I guess the intricacies of industry is that the art is always going to be a priority. I think now because people are more savvy and more aware of how potentially lucrative or opportunities are available through yes money, people, yeah, money, money is people are a lot they're a lot less inclined to like take kind of certain risks artistically. So I, I, I think you're absolutely right, Richard. I think I think it's still definitely there. I think you can definitely find it on the internet. And it's just one of those things where I think once someone pushes that envelope and creates that uh, space, then a lot more uh, very similar uh, uh, acts will begin to appear. Um, so there will never be that kind of central, centralized attention. So there'll be a lot more acts that appear. So I think it's definitely out there. It's just the, the, the medium by which we kind of discover it has probably changed. So I think people are still absurd. But also, Howard, you have to, have to remember, in order for you to parody and make things absurd, they have to be more absurd than what's happening in real life. Let me take you through, <laughs> let me take you through 2020. <laughs> we begin <laughs> with actual aliens being confirmed by the Pentagon. Then there were the killer hornets that bite off other bees' heads. Then you had a global pandemic. <laughs> then, you know, nigh race war in America. Uh, have I left out killer hornets? And then, <laughs> right? So, I, good point. Yeah, so good, good argument. So, good argument. Yeah. yeah. But when you, so when someone goes, hey, I've got a really stupid idea. And then someone goes, the president has a Bible he's never read and grabs women by the pussy. You're like, ah, oh, all right. I guess it's not that crazy after all. Yeah. Okay. I can see why comedy's gone quite serious then, really. Uh, it makes a bit more sense, really. Uh, but God. Yeah, that, that, that's nice sh shell shock there, Dane. Thanks. <laughs> Just, uh, it's, uh, it's, 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 the truth is stranger than fiction nowadays. So. <laughs> <laughs> Well, if you if you never saw that show, uh, I think you should uh, listeners go and go and find it. I'm sure you can find it because it, it was it was a real treat. Um, uh, and thanks for answering the question. Uh, no, thank you. Uh, I think about it a lot. There's people that me and Dane talk about all the time, like. Um, Mr. Uh, a guy, Mr. John Kearns, who one day we might oh, yes. to come on the podcast, but but John is one of the true classic absurd comedian yeah, yeah. brains, absolutely, and. Um, 
I want him on my television. I want people like this on my TV. You know, it seems weird. That they're well, Big Cabin, you have the power now, Howard, as a producer. We just have to oh, yeah. work, oh, work yeah. to create the world we want to see. So it's over to you, Dane, for the final question of today's episode. Indeed. Now, I'm going to throw a curveball because I had an original question, which again pertained to your uh, body of work, Richard, because I was kind of going to ask a question about like Fist of Fun and how you think people would respond to that today because I guess we always discuss this new, I guess, sensitivity amongst comedy audiences. But I feel like we answered that question in the previous one. So while we're all here, I wanted to ask you guys. So up until yesterday, I was a Virgo. But according to NASA, <laughs> now I'm a Leo. <laughs> now, Can you explain this for our listeners? Because yeah, they might not all know what's going on. To give people on. background, according to uh, NASA, they are based on the correct time and division of... Uh, the days required for the Earth to orbit around the sun. And historically, the zodiac sign has been broken up into the, uh, the 12 signs of the zodiac. But based on recent data, there are actually 13 signs within the zodiac. So it's no longer um, the usual suspects. Apparently, now there's one called, let me just find the name, Ophicus. Ophiuchus, <laughs> spelled O for Oscar, P for Papa, H for Hotel, I for India, U for Uniform, C for Charlie, H for Hotel, U for Uniform, and S for Sierra. And the dates of Ophicus are November 29th to December the 17th, which means if you used to be a Sagittarius or a Scorpio, you aren't anymore. Now you are neither horse nor scorpion. You are, I'm assuming, some kind of spice for gin-based cocktails. So my question is, based on our previous conversations about being uh, a contrarian, are you guys up for changing your star signs? Because I'm not. <laughs> I'm not. I, I Richard, think do I you care? Do you care about them? Do you care I about don't the star care about them. I'm Cancer currently, which is, you know, not, not the, a great... Uh, it's not the best name. name for yeah, it. it's not the best name. No. It's not the best name. So uh, I think I've become Gemini, I think, if uh, under the new system. So that's a bit better. But I don't, you know, yeah, it's, it's one of those things, isn't it, of... Well, it's the way we divide up humanity. I mean, it sort of shows how stupid all the divisions are. You know, like every every time we try to lump ourselves together by whatever means, by sex, by race, yeah. by the day we're born, and then you you're in your little tribe, you're in your little gang, but it's it's all fairly meaningless. I think with astrology, it's all meaningless. <laughs> Whereas at least there's some argument with the others that there's some the connecting factors. But just being born. Yeah, these things are created like 3,000 years ago based on the stars then and people, the idea of, again, it's, but it's about human beings, this, it's that mixture of arrogance and and uh, and uh, sensitivity, isn't it? Because yeah. you sort of think, yeah, this, the big stars up there, that must influence my life. Yeah. <laughs> those, those big always, bright lights. It's always easier it to give up, something to you're do giving, with giving, me. Yeah, giving, <laughs> giving over power and uh, giving over power and, uh, and you know, given over your responsibility to, you know, factors and both in variable and variable that you can't control is much easier yeah. than taking responsibility for your own actions. For example, I'm a Virgo, which means the maiden or the virgin. And I feel like that's why I didn't have sex until I was 18, Richard. I was like, you know, if I wasn't a Virgo, I would be waist deep in love. But because I'm a virgin by nature, the stars, the yeah. stars have dictated that I go wait a little longer than everybody else. You know, I'm a Sagittarius. I'm a Sagittarius, so I had a real confidence boost. I'm a, I think I'm a late. I think I'm a late Sagittarius. And that does, does that mean I'm not a Sagittarius? Well, if you ask Richard, you're nothing, Howard. Why don't you grow up? <laughs> but yeah but apparently are you a Sagittarius well unless your birthday falls within December the 17th and the 20th of January you are actually a Ophiuchus and I still don't know what that is and also it's easily now the most pretentious of all the star signs who is spelling that buddy like everyone in Shoreditch is going to want that one I mean everyone, everyone in Shoreditch will want that one but how bad do people feel now there must be socially distant cues outside of tattoo parlours all over the Mediterranean now. <laughs> of people going, well, I, when I came in, I thought I was a Gemini. Apparently, <laughs> I'm an Aries. And then someone's like, typical Aries shit, can't decide. Fuck you, you were just a Gemini yesterday. You don't know who you are. 
is it do you do you find it hard not to belittle people who who follow this this stuff because um, i think in I the do. modern world right what i think about this stuff and i was talking to the historian bettany hughes on my podcast yesterday and she's interested in ancient greece and all this sort of stuff and in her book which is about venus and aphrodite it's very interesting and the way that uh, a god changes over time kind of informs you about the society and the changes in society and the balance of the sexes and all that sort of stuff but three thousand years ago you were, you know, you were unlikely to get beyond 30. You could get ill. You could, you know, it, it was confusing. You'd, it wasn't like believing in God or believing outside forces was a choice. You know, you that was the only way to to get. She sort of said, you know, if you said, to, is there a God? It'd be the same as saying, is there a sea? You know, is there yeah. a sea there? That, that people wouldn't be able to comprehend it because they, you know, they had to live their life by those forces. That was the only way through this kind of jungle of, you know, all these terrible yeah. things that were coming at them yeah. from every direction. Rational, yeah. Rationalising is a really good point because it's like you said, it's, it's, that's like, it's humanity, you know, it's a trip and it's uh, the longest experience we'll have. So you're right, it's, it's, it's uh, ha- no, thinking God's existence stuff, it makes it a lot easier for you to be like, how did that big ball of light disappear? <laughs> and there's a smaller one and now there's a bigger one again. For someone to try to explain yeah. it to you, it's much easier to be like, there is a magical man on a magical golden chariot that rides through the sky and drinks it to hell, and in a battle, it returns. That is more, at that point, when you don't have any frame of reference, is much more plausible yeah. than someone being like, well, a giant ball of gas is uh, so tightly. Oh, that sounds kind of plausible. How far away? 186 million, no, 193 million miles away from Earth. <laughs> so, if someone said that to you in a pub 193 million miles from earth you'd say it's time for Gracchus to be executed did you hear what he just said <laughs> over a glass of mead he's lost it so yeah so you know you and you wouldn't you don't understand how anything works and 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 but your whole life depends on you know the crops growing or or stuff being there or you know and and, and you're right try and explain away your behavior so i think a lot of aphrodite is interesting because you know it's about love and it's also about war a little bit but those the feelings of passion and sex and if you're with someone else and fancy someone else it's kind of convenient to go yeah oh aphrodite came <laughs> down and cast a spell and that's why i fucked my next door neighbor so it's not my fault exactly. uh so you know and and in a way it sort of you know life feels like that sometimes doesn't it life feels sometimes like you look back at something you did and think why why the hell did i do what did <laughs> exactly. i take that risk for why did i do that and it's as if someone else is controlling everything so it's you know it's completely understandable um ah, you know if people want to believe in it it's not there's no like harm in it in fact you know there's no one fighting over astrologies there's no one saying you know virgo lies matter i mean it could happen though it could happen i, I only, only if people feel like they're threatened but i i, I loved it <laughs> oh my god there's gonna be a whole movement against oh, this new star oh, sign, there's definitely there? and I, I feel like i <laughs> back, back in my day when a Virgo was a Virgo yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Scorpios in my day do you know what I mean? yeah. had a sting in the tail now they just behave like statues these days who knows I, you know what but based on that Richard I'd love the idea of perhaps like it would be that would be the best uh, talking head show would be to resurrect people from these periods whereby this was the most plausible explanation for some of the like more natural phenomenon they saw and like have a guy sit there and be like what happened to your wife well I believe my wife was a broid of Satan so we put whole pokers in her so we'd know if she could take the devil or not and then have explained to him his face be like Oh fuck! What? Yeah. <laughs> how, how could that make sense? You know what? I'm going to have to bring this back to a subject I've been looking forward to discussing on the podcast, and I'm aware, Dylan, my son, one day you may hear this. So apologies. However, I am a Jewish man. Uh, I was brought up in a pretty Jewish household, not very religious, but culturally Jewish. So you know where this is going. I'm missing. <laughs> I'm missing a bit. And um, it's never affected me uh, in a particularly negative or positive way because I have nothing to compare it to. However, when the subject of this was broached with my wife, who is a pretty non-religious person, uh, she said to me, what the fuck are you talking about? Why would I cut a piece off our son? Uh, To which when I thought about it, I was like, well, because then it will look like mine, uh, which was my only answer. Um, but it obviously is absolute madness to do that, uh, in my opinion, uh, and we haven't done it. So he's completely, he's all intact uh, as we speak. Um, but you kind of look at that and you think, God, we were about to do that on the basis of what? Tradition? Like what? Like that is... I imagine it was a time when, you know, that may have been a more hygienic practice. 
And I feel like a lot. I get yeah. that, but definitely not now, right? Definitely not now. I don't, it doesn't make any so, difference. So now. many. I think that that's what I mean. That so many things come down from a long time ago when they did make sense, and some of them continue to make sense, it, and some of them don't. Exactly, and, and, it's, and, it's, and it's always the mind, the zeitgeist at the time. Like for example, for myself yeah. personally, when I hear about the phenomena of suicide bombing, if you imagine like you know a particular part of the world which is very sexually repressive, and you know men themselves don't even get to even re- reflectively explore sexuality and get a reference for the female form if someone comes up to you and says if you do this there's going to be 30, 72 versions in heaven that doesn't sound that crazy to me to me <laughs> if, if i if i've grown up in a society where i've barely even been able to observe the female form and then someone says 72 types of untapped pussy in heaven i'm gonna be like who am i gonna kill <laughs> who am I like to, to us the idea is asinine but if you take into account you know years of transgenerational sexual repression where you've got a bunch of men that are full of testosterone who don't live past the age of 35 and then you are like if you sacrifice yourself in the name of god you got 72 virgins that no one else has seen before that sounds kind of plausible. But there's logic to that. There's logic, there's, there's logic to, yeah, to that. Whereas, logic whereas to the foreskin, the foreskin thing on a, on you know applying the same criteria, you're literally like, dear God, thank you for my son. Uh, as a tribute to you, uh, here is us removing his foreskin or really awkwardly, really painfully, and now he is a devout follower. I mean, what? That's just nonsense, right? That, it that, sort that, of that, seems to be a criticism of God as well. It's like saying you got it nearly right, mate, but then <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> And also, Richard, following your point, the spectacle of men queuing on Judgment Day in heaven, and everyone's like, you, you there have lived a very, very devout, good Jewish life, and you have followed the Torah to the letter. Just one more thing. Let me see your dick. Oh! <laughs> No, no, no. I'm so sorry. No paradise for you. Come on, man. It's like a checklist, right? Bacon, yeah, uh, no. Uh, foreskin, no. Sure, well, come on in. You know, you're welcome. Listen, it's like, it doesn't make any If sense. it's pink and crispy and salty, not this religion, buddy, is the worst campaign but, ever. <laughs> but every, you know, every, every belief system, any culture will have something, not necessarily exactly like that, but like that, which everyone accepts. And, and again, that's what we does take us back to the, the beginning, you know, someone challenges it and you go, no, what? because also to chat, once you've done something for so long to challenge, it seems even more exactly like, offensive. Doesn't you go, well, no, but we've been doing it for so long that you were, you're saying that not only I, but every one of my ancestors yeah, was so wrong as well. For so, identity so, politics, people yeah. will touch their ideals. So for you to come along and challenge that now, like it's like so everyone's kind of called penis for no reason it's much it's very hard for people to kind of uh rationalize but yeah i, I definitely think this can i can i just tell you that that one solution to this problem would be uh international foreskin day uh, <laughs> i bet could. there is one and there, absolutely, absolutely, no, absolutely there is international there is international foreskin awareness week in <laughs> there <you go. laughs> well there probably should be because then at least then because then some men would be like well how come women don't get to get this calf and then we'd be like it does happen it's fjm and it's not normally elective thanks for bringing it up Let's raise awareness. And now we've caught them in their own paradox. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it is, it's, it's not. I mean, I wrote a whole book about this and Tom Rosenthal's that, about Cox. And that was one of my shows, Talking Cock. And Tom Rosenthal's did a great, a great, a very well acclaimed show about, uh, about your, your exact issue as a Jewish guy and uh, having had something removed from him. I mean, I, you know, I felt. It's one of those, I mean, but the person involved doesn't get the choice in it, and that's what's weird. That about is very it me. weird. If you, you know, if and, um, it's it doesn't. You know, sometimes it happens for medical reasons. Sometimes it happens for sure. whatever different scenario, reasons. Different scenario. It, you don't absolutely need to have a foreskin, but also there's any any surgery taken is holds risks. You know, so people die and people get uh, get castrated and stuff accidentally in, uh, during this. So it's it's a very you know it, it's, it's you've, a had, you've had a baby, Richard. How protective you're like you're like you're like trying to like not injure it every day right yeah, yeah. so you're like oh the way i put his head down on his little blanket oh i think he just banged his head a little bit oh you guys want to be a bit more careful yeah but don't worry about when i'm gonna fuck cut, cut a fucking bit of his body off like what's the my fuck? cousin my, cu- yeah. my cousin anyway. had a, a circumcision because yeah this is a very common practice for hygienic reasons amongst my community as well and i think i was up next but my cousin and i are anemic and so we don't have at the time we didn't have some of the clotting factors required to stop bleeding um right. so suffice to say didn't turn out well for him and uh for a long time many hours for him to change his underwear and so i was like i was like no way (laughs) no he's fine now but that was enough for me to be like nope 
Nope, I am. Yeah. I am happy to have a. I'll have a TED talk with whichever God is the true one, because <laughs> there is no way. And like you said, Howard, it's like you said, it's like you know when you are protective of someone you care about, you love, and they're like, first I'm going to smack their bottom so they cry, and you're like, okay, that sounds about right. Now I'm going to put a scalpel to their genitals. What's going on here? Is this not medicine? What year is this? <laughs> what year is this? I'm glad we've got to the bottom of, of that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's been a, a very entertaining episode, it's Richard. Been I must okay, say. No, it's been lots of fun. You're, you're very uh, clever young, very clever young guy. Ah, thank you so much. Very impressed with you. We're doing our best. Just very trying impressive. to carry the torch. And uh, again, I uh, can't thank you enough, uh, Richard Herring. My, uh, me and my friends who are in my J- uh, German A-level we could not stop going on about Fist of Fun. So this is a true honour. <laughs> so uh, thank you oh, very well, much. That's very nice. Um, you, uh, for people that aren't as enlightened as myself and Howard about your work, where can we find out more of your stuff and check out uh, well, your current project? Yeah. Uh, well, the, my podcast, Rahalastapur, it's got R-H-L-S-T-P, is on all your podcast apps and YouTube. Uh, I'm doing Twitch stuff most nights of the week at the moment, at uh, twitch.tv slash rkherring. And my book, which discusses a lot of the stuff we've been talking about, is called The Problem with Men, When's International Men's Day and Why It Matters, uh, which I think is available for pre-order now. So if you go to Amazon and Waterstones or wherever you get your books, and if you could pre-order it, it's going to be on audiobook, it's going to be on Kindle and uh, and uh, e- book and it's going to be a book so very exciting pre-orders matter a lot apparently so I'd we love will it be sharing that on our social media feed guys oh, to, thank you. Uh, to thank remind you. you to go and get it because i'm sure it's going to be a great read it's it's i've really enjoyed doing it it's been really and it's been very interesting and it and i just thought to begin with oh it'll be a funny book and it is a funny book but i think there's you know you it, it took it, it went in some unexpected directions for me partly because of the, the world going in unexpected directions <laughs> but also the more you think about it the more you know the deeper you get into it the, the as we've seen you know the, the more there is to say about it so it's it's an interesting subject it's good it's good good and uh, yeah i can't uh, to the listeners here i can't recommend uh, richard's podcast enough i was able to be an esteemed guest loads and loads of fun and uh, hopefully once we are off of lockdown uh, please do go to Leicester Square Theatre and check out a live recording because it is very fun very immersive and I know what about other podcasts fuck them just go to the damn show <laughs> <laughs> thank you again thank Richard. you so much it's been a real thank pleasure you. thanks for having me guys have a, have a wonderful yeah. one you've been listening to Dane Baptiste questions everything hosted by Dane Baptiste for more from Dane go to danebaptiste.co.uk or follow him on Twitter at DaneBapTweets or Instagram at DaneSnapTeast. Our guest was Richard Herring. You can follow Richard on Twitter at Herring1967 or on Instagram at RKHerring1967 or on Twitch at RKHerring. The show is produced by me, Howard Cohen. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the Howard Cohen. The show is mixed and mastered by Decode. You can follow D on Twitter and Instagram at official decode. Please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at DBQE Podcast. Thanks to Polly, Gelly, and the ACAST team for all their support. Thanks for listening, guys, and remember, question everything. Save big money now on new siding from LP Smart Side at Menards. Update and beautify your home with your choice of 13 timeless colors of pre finished engineered siding. It's durable and includes a Sherwin Williams factory finish paint warranty that means no painting for years to come. View our entire selection of siding from LP Smart Side today. And don't forget to check out our flyer on menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big money.